0: Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is the top rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing clothing brand, or making a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, the founder and CEO of Recloseted. Each week, I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Recloseted Radio. In this episode, I am going to overview my findings and my takeaways from the Global Fashion Summit, which happened last week in Copenhagen, And if you are following us on Instagram at Recloseted, or if you've been listening to any of our past podcast episodes, you'll know that I'm doing a lot of traveling right now. And one of the reasons was for this conference. And so I'm really excited to share my findings and my takeaways with you in this episode today. And if you're listening as a small to medium business, I would say don't have too much FOMO or fear of missing out if you weren't able to make the summit. I know that it's in Europe and it's in Copenhagen and you have to pay for airfare and accommodation. So my hope is that in me attending and me summarizing my thoughts and takeaways in this episode today, I can hopefully save you some time and save you some money and really help you and really making sure that you get the most out of everything that I've learned without having to be there yourself. One of the things I will say off the bat is that I did find that a lot of the topics covered were quite high level and catered towards bigger brands that have those bigger resources and budgets. And so, with everything, I've tried to tailor it so that it will still be applicable to everyone and be accessible to everyone. And the other thing as well is I'm going to try to include some action items throughout this episode as well so that it is as actionable as possible. Because sometimes I find for conferences like this, it's a lot of like theory, it's a lot of concepts, and then they don't necessarily give you a lot of tangible action items that you can walk away with. So that's my hope with this episode. And I will say, if you find this episode helpful, which I really hope you do, I would encourage you to share it with your network because I think the messages in the conference and in this episode really need to be heard. And then if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast, which is Recloseted Radio, and that way new episodes will be downloaded automatically. I've met a lot of great speakers and people at the conference, and I am going to have a lot of them on and interview them on the podcast. So if you're subscribed, All those episodes will be automatically downloaded and you won't miss a thing. The other thing as well is if you enjoyed this podcast episode and if you enjoyed previous episodes, please leave us a positive rating and review because that really helps us continue to be able to amplify this message, be able to continue to do our work to transform the fashion industry. So please, if you haven't already, take literally 30 seconds to leave us a positive rating and review on your preferred podcast platform. To kick things off, I wanted to give a state of the fashion industry, because there's a lot going on right now and I think it's important for us to understand the landscape so that we can figure out what we want to do. First of all, we're noticing that consumers are buying less clothing, and that is in part due to COVID and folks not going out as much, and then of course, also due to COVID, people realizing more things about the planet and sustainability so they want to do their part, so that is one layer. The second layer kind of after that is when COVID did hit and people did cut back on buying clothes and brands were starting to freak out about their profitability and how they were going to survive. A lot of brands canceled orders or they delayed payments and there was all sorts of unethical behavior going on. And so because of that, a lot of manufacturers would have to lay off their garment workers. A lot of manufacturers shut down. And that was one part of COVID and we've talked about that before. So this happened only about, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, and we're still feeling a bit of the impacts now. And then right now there's a war going on in Europe. So that, of course, destabilizes things. There's also massive inflation right now. And then in result of COVID in China, they're still trying to figure out how to do a zero COVID policy, which we're not going to get into. But that, of course, also has implications because the China market is huge. And then on top of all of that, there's harbor shutdowns, there's container shortages. And so there's just a lot going on in the industry right now. And it started kind of with COVID because COVID definitely affected the supply chain with the canceled orders and the pushed back orders. However, we did discuss that the fashion industry did recover quite quickly after the pandemic. And so that should give us hope. And with all of that being said, there is a lot going on right now. And so I just wanted to say that if your brand has stagnated or plateaued or hasn't really been growing and you're not really sure what to do right now, Give yourself some compassion and grace because there's a lot of external factors at play right now, and I would say what you really need to do is double down, figure out your strategy, and really execute to it, and definitely try to figure out how you can run a tighter ship and be a little bit leaner and meaner, but uh, right now, if you are struggling, just know that it's not 100% all on you. There's a lot of different factors at play. The other caveat I wanted to say as well is that I know that with the pandemic, and we're kind of getting a little bit out of it now, but during the pandemic, a lot of people wanted to start their own business. And you might be listening to this and thinking that, oh my gosh, this seems like the worst time to start my brand or the worst time to do this. but. There's no perfect time to do anything. There's always going to be something going on. And a mentor of mine recently told me that if you wait until things are perfect or you wait until you feel 100% ready, you're just never going to end up doing anything because that's just not possible and that's not realistic. There's always going to be something going on and, you know, I've also had other mentors and other people that you may look up to, such as like the founders of Airbnb or like a lot of the companies nowadays that we know, they actually started back in the 2008 recession. And what I've found and what a lot of people have told me is that these tough times can build really resilient and truly talented and resourceful entrepreneurs and while things are tough right now, if you can succeed right now, I have no doubt you're going to succeed once the economy bounces back because, you know, everything's cyclical in the market and it will bounce back. But if you can succeed right now, then you're going to have no problem in the future. And I've personally found that all the mindset things you have to work through, all the different strategies you have to think of, all of that is so important, especially when the economy isn't doing well and it feels like everything is sacked against you and you end up becoming a much better entrepreneur and much better leader. So if you are thinking of starting something, don't let this discourage you. I would say you wanna go into it with realistic goggles on, if you will. You don't. I don't wanna paint rainbow-tinted glasses for you about a really great economy right now. Like Things are tough. But if you end up successful and you end up being able to pull it off, it's going to be so much easier for you in the future. So that's a quick state of the industry. And hopefully things do bounce back relatively quickly, kind of like they did in the pandemic. But I will say plan for the worst. So make sure you have enough runway. Make sure you have plans and strategies in place. And if you need any help, feel free to DM us. We're happy to support The other thing on a sustainability perspective is just the sense of urgency that was really peppered and layered in throughout the conference. I think we all know how imperative sustainability is, but at the conference, there really was this underlying tone of time has run out, we need to start acting, and we need to actually act faster than we've ever acted before, otherwise this is not going to end well. So talking about sustainability, I did also want to define it a little bit because I found that there was a whole panel on defining the word sustainability and it was really interesting to hear people's different thoughts and definitions. So one person made a really good point that sustainability really means no harm and it is next to impossible to start a brand and not have any harm on the planet. And so instead of trying to think about how you can be perfect, which I have talked about before on the podcast and said that that's really impossible, instead view sustainability as a journey and as an aspiration. And it is something that you collectively and always work towards. It's not an end destination where you will get there and then you know, you wipe your hands and you're done. It's something you're always continuously going to improve on and work towards. And the other thing that is so important is that every single company is on this journey as well. It was a bit polarizing because there's some people at the conference that were like, there's these big brands and they're greenwashing and this sucks. And this is just awful. And they should just be so ashamed. And then there's others at the conference that were saying that it's actually good that these big brands are trying. And of course, the greenwashing piece is not amazing, but that's maybe their first step. And hopefully they will continue on their journey. And, you know, it's important to be inclusive and bring others along on the journey, but then also continue to raise the bar as well. At the end of the day, we are all in this together. We all live on the same planet. So it's really important to figure out how we can collectively raise the bar together. And another person made a really good point too about how it's so important to figure out how you're gonna build a business nowadays that can exist within the limits of the planet. And I really think that that summarizes exactly how we should be viewing sustainability. If you want to build a business that's going to be existing on this planet, think about how you can make sure that it doesn't do you know, too much harm or much harm and figure out how you can minimize it if you are identifying that there's going to be some harm done. Another really good piece of advice or thought-provoking statement that was said that I wanted to leave you with as well was one panelist said, a sustainable product that is made in the best manner possible with the best materials, if that product isn't worn and if it isn't used and it's thrown away, it's really just sustainable junk. And I think that's so true. And that's why we always talk about taking that customer first approach and making sure you identify your target consumer figure out what their pain points are and make something that solves a problem because we cannot just make product anymore. We are way past that. And even if you make the most sustainable product, but it's not being used and it's just going in the landfill, it's literally just sustainable junk, right? So we don't want to make sustainable junk. We want to make truly sustainable products that are used and loved and worn for years to come. So that is just something I wanted to leave you with as well, just for you to think about. And Throughout the entire conference, there was a lot of talk around intentional design and choosing the right materials. Those two things at the very beginning of the product development cycle can go quite far as well. So even if you don't have big budgets to do all these different things like carbon insetting or figuring out your circularity strategy, if you can just be super intentional and conscious from the beginning, when you're thinking about your product, when you're designing your product and choosing materials, that can already make you go quite far as well from a sustainability takeaway perspective it was quite urgent and like i said i don't want to be all doom and gloom and just leave you in that paralyzing place i will be providing you some actions but i do think it's important that we understand how imperative this is right now so throughout the conference, there was a lot of talk around the Paris Agreement that the United Nations developed way back in 2015, and the agreement was that we were going to really work towards, as a planet, limiting our global warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius, preferably 1.5 degrees. And so this was something that was put together, and we were supposed to have implemented it by 2020, but but all trajectories point to the fact that we are way off and it's quite alarming. There's all these different analyses and graphs, but currently it seems that if we continue business as usual activities, we are going to be heading towards a three to four degrees increase. And this may not sound like a lot. You might be like, what's the big deal? But This is going to cause sea levels to rise, and so certain cities will become flooded and they will become unlivable, and so we'll have climate refugees. And then beyond just us as humans, we're also going to lose so much biodiversity. There's going to be more species and plants and animals going extinct, and this is just going to have such a big impact. So if you are curious, I highly recommend you check out if you haven't already, what this is going to mean for our planet if we continue on this trajectory. And this really allows us to see how we really need to take action. And this sense of urgency is just very prevalent. Less bad is just not good enough anymore. The planet will not wait for us to get our act together. So we need to make sure we are starting on this journey Right now. And a lot of people were also saying that a lot of companies are aiming to be net neutral with their emissions and net neutral with their impact, but we are way past that already. We need to think about how we can be net positive and how we can give back to the environment and the planet because, again, this trajectory is extremely scary. We are way off target, we are way behind. And so we need to not only just get to zero, but we need to figure out how we can actually give back to the planet as well. And I talked about this a little bit already, but the theme of this conference was to develop alliances for a new era. And there was a lot of discussion around how we radically redefined how we make these fashion alliances, because a lot of the times in history, fashion was very competitive. It was very secretive, but it is really cool to see that a lot of brands are now banding together to tackle this issue. And I talked about this a little bit already, but we need everyone to get on the journey. So we need fast fashion brands to join, but we also need to continually raise the bar as well. And there was discussion about trophy moves and performative acts from bigger brands that can be frustrating, but every brand does need to start somewhere. And I am a strong believer of that, but that can't just be your only act. You need to continue to improve as well. One example that was brought up was the waterless line from Levi's, and this originally was more of a capsule line where Levi's would use less water and some of those denim, but because of the success, it has now grown and gone through the rest of the company and their supply chain. So originally, it might have seen like they were just trying to jump on the greenwashing bandwagon or the sustainability bandwagon and do this performative act, but it has seen a lot of success and they're now trying to move it to the rest of their company. So when we do see brands doing these things, I would say we should definitely encourage them to continue to move in this direction. And I think that it is up to us and up to other consumers to really hold them accountable to that bar. Another thing when it came to sustainability that I found really true and interesting was one person was saying that the light bulb was not invented through the continuous improvement of candles, right? It was a radical shift of how energy and electricity works. And we almost need to do the exact same thing right now. We need to re-engineer and rethink our linear fashion models and think about how we can truly make it circular and how we can truly make a net positive impact on the environment. And to end this section on a more positive note, I did want to say that William, who is the creator of Cradle to Cradle, he is essentially the godfather of circularity, if you will. He said that fashion is a verb. And so let's fashion the world we want. That was really inspiring. And it's a good wake up call about the fact that we do have the ability to change things and we must change things and we must act quickly. So as promised, I didn't want to just deliver a lot of negative news and then just leave you feeling really negatively. I wanted to give you some action. So let's talk a little bit about the stakeholders involved in all of this, because one thing I am really a strong believer in is the fact that we can't do this alone. And so there's, of course, brands, which is probably you on one side, right? You own a brand or you work at a sustainable fashion brand. And then there's also consumers on another side. And then layered on top of that, we have government and policymakers, and then we have investors and sustainable financiers, if you will, as well. And so all of these different players need to work together to solve this issue. And I'm gonna start from a brand's perspective. So what brands can do and what brands should be doing. First of all, I mentioned this a little bit already, but brands should not be working on their own solutions. They should be collaborating. Really look beyond competition and fight for the same path together. A really cool example that was brought up during the conference was that Allbirds, which is a sustainable sneaker shoe company, and Adidas, they actually work together. They're technically competitors, but they work together to create this shoe that used less than three kilograms of CO2. This is amazing because most shoes use on average 14 kg of CO2. And so this was a really good example of two brands coming together to share their innovation, share their experiences so that they could really advance what the bar was in terms of sustainability when it comes to shoes. And this also really encouraged me to continue to redevelop and rethink how we can encourage our clients to collaborate amongst each other as well. And one of my big takeaways is just to continuously think about how we can encourage this collaboration with our own clients as well. Because currently, one of the benefits for being one of our clients is that we do introduce people together so that they can support each other, cheer each other on. And also, if it makes sense, go in on bulk material orders together so that they can meet minimums and get better pricing. But I do think there's a big opportunity here for us to figure out how we can continue to encourage more cross collaboration and encourage our clients to work together more because a lot of the times it can be lonely on this journey. So it's important to band together and figure out how you can just leverage each other's experiences, technologies, innovations, and just make your journey so much quicker and more efficient and faster. From a consumer perspective, it is important that consumers continue to demand more action from brands, from policymakers, et cetera, et cetera. Consumers really do have a lot of power to shift the dynamics in the industry. So make sure you vote with your dollars, make sure you support the brands that deserve it. And a lot of consumers, I will say, have seemed to have, quote unquote, woken up after COVID. And One thing I will say is that there was a really interesting point being made about how the doom and gloom messaging can be really paralyzing to people. So instead of shoving a bunch of statistics down people's throats, really try to pull on their heartstrings and create a story instead. And one person made a really good point about how if we position it as being you know, this planet is amazing. You benefit so much from this planet. If you like hiking, or if you like going to the beach, or if you like skiing, or if you like any of these things, then it is really important for you to want to protect the planet. And if we come from a position of wanting to protect and wanting to nurture and save versus this doom and gloom messaging of our planet is dying, our ice caps are melting, there's species going extinct, like it's a very different energy. And so, Just something to think about in any of your messaging or when you're even just talking to your friends and people in your network. See if you can really encourage them to intrinsically be motivated to want to protect the planet instead versus just shoving all these really depressing statistics down their throats. And from a government and policymakers perspective, this is so important. I think a lot of the times we want government to do things and we want government to implement regulations. And personally, for me, it's very frustrating to see sometimes how slow action can be. But I think a lot of governments and policymakers are realizing that voluntary action to date has been very insufficient from some companies. So policymakers have stepped into place. But the caveat is that we need to make sure there aren't a million different policies per city or per country, because that's going to be really difficult for brands to try and figure out, especially for small to medium sized businesses. They just don't have the budgets and the time to figure out how to comply in California versus like Germany versus Canada. You know, that's just not going to happen. So it's important that these different governments and policymakers work together And then the other thing, too, is they need to work together to create a unifying global standard. And it's really important that this standard also doesn't just create more work for small businesses that are already doing great and just allows the big businesses to skirt by. We actually need policy that works for the industry. The good thing, though, is that we are seeing a big shift, especially in the last two years, It really was a bit of a slow crawl, but we now are definitely sprinting up the mountain. There's a lot of regulation coming down the pipeline. For example, Germany passed a supply chain act last year. It wasn't just for fashion, but definitely applicable to the fashion industry. And there's a lot of regulation happening right now in New York as well. And so this wave of legislation is coming. And I know a lot of brands and CEOs are looking to future-proof their business and or be leaders in their industry. So I do see that a lot of the conversation at the conference was very positive around trying to figure out how they can meet these regulations. And it really is lighting a fire (laughs) under people's butts to really take that action, which is so needed because... Like I said, the theme is urgency, we need to act. And so this is really promising, but it is important that we think carefully about how this is executed so we don't just have a million regulations and it actually makes it harder for small to medium-sized businesses that are actually genuinely doing good already and just creates more work. And then from an investor or sustainable finance perspective, this has been interesting for me because I have a few friends in the finance space, and a lot of them are talking a little bit more about sustainable finance, which essentially just means exactly what it sounds like, investing in sustainable companies. But like we mentioned in the Material Innovation Conference recap episode, we will have it linked down below. There is more investment in innovative materials in other spaces as well. So I think this is really promising. And I also talked to a lot of innovation technology startups at the conference, and it seems like a lot of them are getting funding as well. So hopefully... This continues so that we can get more of these materials being scaled and being more accessible to brands and also more of these innovative technologies scaled and more accessible to these brands as well. Because right now, a lot of the times these startups, it's just there's still a lot of work to be done and they need the funding in order to get it off the ground and make it actually widely accessible. The one caveat or note though is that I still find that it is still very much financially driven, which is kind of a given. But it's important that these investors keep in mind that while you are looking for financial return, it's also equally important to look at the impact of. The sustainability side of things as well. And I know there were some brands mentioning that a lot of their CEO targets are now both financial and profit driven, but also environmentally and sustainability driven as well. And it would be interesting for the finance industry to also adopt a similar model. Now that we have talked a little bit about the different stakeholders and what you can do, I did want to talk about the brand and supply chain power dynamics because this was also brought up a lot during the conference. Brands currently still have a lot of purchasing power, and they have a very colonial mindset towards their suppliers. There's this attitude of brands being able to do whatever they want because they can easily find another supplier or move to a different country for production. A lot of brands are still also quote-unquote racing to the bottom and trying to find the cheapest manufacturers. And a lot of sustainable manufacturers are also competing for the same brands and contracts, as non-sustainable manufacturers. So if a non-sustainable manufacturer is able to price cheaper than the sustainable manufacturer because they don't have to invest in R&D or they don't have to invest in greener machinery, they may lose that contract. And it puts them in a really difficult position because then they don't get the funding they need and the budgets they need for R&D and for those green machines. So it's imperative that brands treat their manufacturers with respect and give them enough money so that they can continue to invest in these items. And I know a lot of folks listening are from brands or have their own brand. So it is important that you remember this and you treat your manufacturers with respect. And I know our community is amazing and I know our community is already respectful. So this is probably just a gentle friendly reminder, hopefully. But it's really important to remember that. And another interesting point I wanted to bring up as well is that seven of the most sustainable factories in the world are now in Bangladesh. And I think that made in Bangladesh or made in China or made in India often gets a bad rep. And I think that we are definitely trying to rebrand that because there are a lot of amazing factories in those countries now and a lot of amazing work being done. So just keep an open mind. And At the end of the day, we really need to rebalance this power structure and really reshape how the supply chain power dynamic works. And it starts with you. It starts with you being right now in a position of power as a brand, really taking an active role in trying to change it and really taking an active role in trying to develop an amazing relationship with your suppliers. And speaking of manufacturers and supply chains, Another thing that I wanted to touch on was garment worker wages as well, in particular living wages. So there was a lot of talk and debate around living wages, and one speaker was saying that he often heard that brands said that living wages are difficult to pay because there's no standards, but that's just at the end of the day, quite frankly, an excuse, because you could easily just double salaries if you weren't sure, or you could just aim higher. Because even if you aim higher, I still think it's going to fall flat as to what they would actually really want. So this confusion, this patchwork legislation, and this lack of measurement is really causing a lot of fast fashion brands to skirt by, and it's really just an excuse. So Some things that some brands such as Reformation are doing and thinking about doing is publishing the floor wage, which is the lowest hourly wage in your factories. And from an accountability perspective, you can publish that and you can really showcase what your lowest wage is and then you can start to increase it. And this gap between your floor wage and maybe your highest wage needs to start to decrease. And if you don't know what your floor wage is, then that's a really good place to start. And it's also probably very alarming, but it's a good place to start and you can start to close that gap. And if we go back to policies and regulations for a second it is really important for us to incentivize the right behavior because if brands like Reformation pay more for garment workers and they are looking at their floor wage and they're actively trying to close the gap, they are actually at a competitive disadvantage compared to brands that don't do that because their margins are smaller. And that is so backwards and it really takes a lot of intrinsic motivation to keep that up, especially when competitively it would be better for you not to pay more. So it's really important that regulation speeds up and really tries to clean up and tries to close the gap between the disadvantage of actually paying a living wage. And it's so backwards and we need to do something about it. And it was also really amazing to see that there was a lot of discussion around the colonialism of the fashion industry as well, not just about sustainability. There was a lot of talks around the global North versus the global South. And I'm going to have a lot of these people on the podcast. So I'm going to save some of these stories for them to tell you because they were just so powerful. And I really want all of you to be able to hear it. But one story I did want to share in particular that really blew my mind was that one person that was a speaker was a instructor and an educator. And she said that she once had a student come up to her and say that he was surprised to hear that people in the global south didn't just want to produce clothes. And he was surprised that people in the global south had other aspirations, and maybe had even the capacity to think about wanting to be a designer or wanting to have their own brand. And the fact that that's surprising just proves how much more work there is to be done. And it really blew my mind because first of all thinking of people in the global south as less than is just not acceptable and then second of all even thinking that producing clothes or manufacturing clothes is not as good as people that design clothes or have brands is also not acceptable as well like we need all of these different players in the fashion industry in order to have these beautiful garments that are hopefully going to make an impact on the world. And so just hearing that there's still so much work to be done was, was just, again, very alarming, but also motivating because we need to reshape the industry, both from a sustainability perspective, but also from this racism and from a colonial perspective as well. And then the other piece I want to speak about as well is just around the transfer of our waste. We transfer so much of our unused and unworn clothing from the global north to the global south. And they are dealing with like landfills and landfills worth of our clothing every single day. And they have to figure out how to deal with all of our shit. And I heard some really powerful stories around this, and I'm not going to go into it because I think it's so much more powerful hearing them directly from the sources. But I have invited those speakers on the podcast, so please stay tuned. It is so important for us to listen to this. But it's just heartbreaking to hear that all of the clothes that we don't sell or we don't wear or we no longer want anymore end up at their doorstep, and then they have to figure out what to do with it. And in a lot of instances, they don't have the systems and the technologies and the innovation set up to do that. And so it ends up destroying their environments, destroying their economies and their lives. And so it's really, really heartbreaking. And so we need to deal with our own shit. And anyways, I've invited those people on. I'm really excited to have them speak to us about it. And so please stay tuned for that. It is really, really important for us to listen to this and hear these stories. And the other topic that I wanted to cover is just the metaverse and Web3. There was a talk and panel discussion on this. And if you are at all curious about the metaverse and Web3 and how it's going to impact the fashion industry, make sure you go back and listen to episode 119 because I define all these definitions and talk about the implications and applications on the fashion industry. So make sure you go back and listen if you haven't already. But a lot of the talk of the panel was reassuring and aligned with what I was talking about. So first of all, a lot of the items in the industry just aren't scalable yet. And so you can just focus right now on improving your current business practices because you don't need to rush into web three or figure out what your web three strategy is. Especially if you're a small to medium sized business, your efforts are much better placed on the sustainability side of things, if I'm being frank. The other thing that one of the speakers made a really good point on is the fact that the metaverse is a luxury product right now. There's people in Africa that don't have stable internet. There's people that don't even have access to these tools like the goggles, like I don't have those goggles or some people don't even have the tech to run the visuals needed to fully immerse yourself in the metaverse. So it is a luxury product right now. So don't freak out if you don't have your strategy or you don't know what you're going to do with the metaverse. Another interesting point that was made was around the Web3 technology because it is at the beginning, it is at its infancy right now, and right now the decentralized system reaches a consensus through a lot of different computers cross-validating, and the need for all this computing power requires a lot of energy. And I talked about this in episode 119 about how this is one of the criticisms and one of the concerns from the environmental slash sustainability community about how much energy Web3 and blockchain and NFTs and all these things utilize. And one of the things I talked about was the use of recycled energy to power these computers, which is great. But another speaker on the panel also mentioned that there are different ways to reach a consensus. You don't just have to have a lot of people agree on the same thing, which is what is currently happening, which is the necessity for all these computers. But we are really moving now to a second iteration of this technology because this consensus that is being reached with all these different computers is kind of the first iteration. And the second iteration right now that's being worked on is when these computers are moving to more of a proof of stake where you can actually put tokens on the line to really reach this consensus. And if we move to this model, she was saying that we can move to almost 99% of the energy being reduced required to power the blockchain. And so if we do move to that, that would be amazing. And again, this is all still very early days. So I don't want you to be freaking out if you're a small to medium-sized business trying to figure out what you're going to do for Web3 and for blockchain. Instead, your time, your energy, your resources, and your money are better spent really focusing on your sustainability strategy. But that being said, if you are curious and you want to learn more, go back and listen to episode 119. Okay, so before we get too much longer, I am cognizant of the fact that this is getting quite long. I did want to start wrapping it up. So In terms of actually incorporating sustainability and acting on this, conferences like this are really important because they cause discussion and debate and innovation and they transform the industry. But for it to truly be able to do that, there needs to be action. And so not everything that was discussed at this conference is applicable for small to medium-sized businesses right now, or even bigger companies that are just starting on their sustainability journey because it can be really overwhelming and really paralyzing. So that's why we always talk about sustainability priorities, bring it back down to your strategy, which is realistic based on your current state and your budget and your resources. And what we're gonna be doing is we are gonna be summarizing the biggest takeaways and action items for our clients. So if you are a client, please keep an eye out for the more analytical and tactical view of our learnings. We will be emailing it out. But just as an example, even for carbon emissions, there's three different stages, right? Like there's carbon reduction, where you can start by just simply reducing and cutting down on your carbon emissions. The next layer would be carbon offsetting, where you're trying to offset your carbon activities by planting trees. And then the third step, which is more advanced, would be carbon insetting, where you tackle lowering carbon from the get-go, So a lot of companies at the conference were talking about like installing solar panels at their factories, things like that. And it can be really overwhelming if you jump straight to carbon insetting where you still have so much other stuff to figure out. The first step would really be to try to reduce your carbons or even try to measure your carbon impact and figure out what that looks like. So depending on where you are at on your sustainability journey, because remember it's a journey, Really try to act and focus on things that would be the most important for you and don't just get shiny object syndrome and try to do carbon insetting when you're not even at the carbon reduction stage or you don't even know how many carbon emissions you're emitting yet. So it's really important to know where you're at and act accordingly. And the final thing I wanted to leave you with is that this is a journey. You need to be intentional about it, but you do need to act And it's not going to be perfect. And one of the speakers had a quote, which I loved was, you know, just this analogy of the fact that we're all flying the plane while we're building it and that's okay. And we are really past the point of just debating and trying to perfect our strategy We need to act now and we need to act intentionally and with urgency. So I really implore you to hopefully, after you listen to this episode, really think carefully about how you can move the needle in your business and also from a sustainability point of view with your brand. And then just act on it. Don't just think about it. Take action because we need everyone to band together to take action. Every single trajectory and graph I saw was you know, very alarming. It was in the red. It was going in the wrong direction. So please, please, please fly the plane while you're building it. It's okay. We're all in this together. And of course, if you need any help, we are here for you. Send us a DM on Instagram, or you can send us an email, hello at And if you want any help on creating your sustainability strategy and implementing it, please book a consultation call we are only accepting and working with five more brands for the rest of this year. So you can do so at www.readcloset.com call. The link will also be in the show notes. And then of course, like I mentioned, our DMs and our emails are open. So please reach out. I want to help. We want to help. The time to act is literally yesterday. So please, please, please reach out. And that concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories, and tag us at Recloseted. Make sure you subscribe to our Recloseted radio podcast on your preferred podcast platform so that new episodes are automatically downloaded and you don't miss any of our free resources. Lastly, don't forget to rate our podcast five stars and leave us a positive review. That really helps us and continues to allow us to provide this podcast for free. Together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.